Hello, everyone. Welcome to localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm Tim Muma, and you're locked into I Want to Be A, where each episode we fill in the blank and bring you an experienced professional from a specific field. And we're looking at science once again. This time, I want to be a theoretical chemist. To help us determine what that is exactly and what it takes to succeed in this discipline, we've called upon Preston McDougall. He's a professor over at Middle Tennessee State University. Preston, how are you doing today? Very well. Thanks, Tim. Well, it sounds like an interesting topic to get into, and I wanted to give, though, the listeners idea of where exactly you're coming from. So if you could fill us in a little bit on your professional career. Okay. I was born in Toronto, and I went to school. Um, my college education was at McMaster University on Lake Ontario. It's a steel town of Canada. So there's a heavy emphasis on material science at McMaster, and I did my undergraduate degree in chemistry, and I stayed on to do my PhD in physical chemistry, specializing in theoretical chemistry. Uh, I graduated there in 89 and then set, went down to the south to the Texas A&M University to do some additional research training there, and then uh, I went to Los Alamos National Laboratory, the secret city in, in New Mexico, <laughs> and I did additional computational chemistry research there, and before I started my academic career in the Department of Chemistry here at at MTSU near Middle Tennessee. We always enjoy hearing sort of what the path was for our guests, and uh, we might get into some more details a little bit later as well. When we talk about this idea of theoretical chemistry, I guess, how would you be able to define that for our listeners sort of in layman's term? Uh, If you like solving puzzles, you'll like theoretical chemistry. Um, Theoretical chemists try to find clearest explanations possible to a variety of chemical phenomena, such as many chemical reactions are used to transform common cheap materials into very valuable substances, such as drugs or the special materials that are used to make smartphones and other other electronic devices. Hmm. So to explain these things usually requires coming up with some new ideas, new theories that hopefully will be useful across, across a wide range of chemistry, not just one particular kind of chemistry. Right. And ideally... These ideas will, they sort of earn their their keep if they're able to predict the outcomes of experiments that have not yet even been done. So it can help design materials and and drugs for future needs. When you talk about that, I mean, do you see this as being an area where there's a greater purpose or um, value to society as opposed to simply just, you know, here's the research, document it, move on? I mean, do you see it as being something bigger? There certainly is a larger component other than just the research that a theoretical chemist does. First, I would say that very often if a theoretical chemist comes up with a very good, simple idea to explain a wide variety of chemical phenomena, then that is immediately useful in teaching chemistry. Sure. Because chemistry is a hard enough subject. If you can make understanding a large amount of it easier by introducing a theory that explains a lot of things in a simple manner, then students really love that. So uh, <laughs> a lot of great theories have become uh, their most use in teaching chemistry at the high school or college level. Uh, undergraduate level. And then uh, the other broader impact would be sometimes these theories are very useful in making predictions, but to make it practical, you need to use computers to make these, to do the math very quickly. Sometimes Mm -hmm. some of these theories require mathematical operations that billions and billions of calculations need to be done to make a, a single prediction. Right. So you obviously need to use computers, very fast computers to do that. And so some of these uh, theoretical ideas get taken up by computational chemists okay. who are experts in, in programming computers to, to implement these new theories. So that's, and then these, these computer programs are used by all kinds of researchers in industry and academia to do all kinds of materials modeling and molecular design. So there's two areas where 
the work of a theoretical chemist gets put into broad practice education and computational molecular modeling. And I think that's interesting that I've found is that with chemistry, I mean, there is so much, um, you know, sharing and you're mixing with different disciplines that, you know, we hard, it's hard to put a label on on some of you chemists, of course. And, and that's kind of what we're trying to do here is separate a little bit with the understanding that there's a lot of, um, of general interdisciplinary work with what you're doing. Now, when it comes to chemistry itself or theoretical chemistry specifically, I mean, did you always have that interest? Was there something specifically that maybe drove you in that direction? What was your uh, what was your path as far as mentally going into it? Well, like a lot of chemists, I had a chemistry set and my <laughs> parents were perhaps foolish enough to let me have at it in the basement. So I did all kinds of fascinating chemistry, you know, going back to like eight or eight or nine or 10 and into my teens. Can you give us one of those? I'd be curious to know what you were experimenting with in your basement. Well, the, it's all very foggy right now, but a lot of it was just was um, uh, mixing things to get different color precipitates. It came with, a, at the time, an alcohol burner, so you could oh, heat nice. things up and get things to burn. <laughs> and uh, there are stains all over carpets and walls <laughs> of different colors and, and some burn stains. Fortunately, it didn't spread too far, but looking back, it was kind of, you know, I wish my, I'm glad my parents didn't know everything that happened. <laughs> in my, my lab. But I had a lot of fun. And uh, certainly, you know, chemistry is, is fascinating. Just watch things change their color, their mm-hmm. shape, their um, explode. It's not clear how it's happening because you can't see atoms and molecules. So I was very curious about chemistry. And when I went to college, I just wanted to be a chemist and learn more chemistry. And what classes that you take, you take all this sort of miscellaneous information, different kinds of, you know, there's over 100 natural and synthetic elements. And many of them, have quite different chemistries than the other. So it's very complicated. The periodic table helps to organize a lot of it, but it's really still very, very complicated. And theories kind of tie everything together. Mm-hmm. And so I saw the, the beauty of, of theory in that it could explain all these what were then miscellaneous observations to me. It became very attractive. And I was, I was drawn to, because there was still much more that hadn't been explained, still many other important observations in chemistry that didn't have a simple explanation. So I saw a great need to try and provide that. And I've been trying to do that ever since. Oh, that makes perfect sense. And as you said, sort of trying to figure out how it actually all works and, and maybe some uh, some solutions to those problems that you talked about. I was always curious about something like that. Do you have a lot of freedom in terms of deciding, okay, this is what I want to research? Do you come across something and then have to present that? I mean, how does that process work in terms of really getting down to uh, you know, manipulating some things and trying to figure out how this all works together? That's a great question, Tim. And that's the beauty of theoretical chemistry and as an academic. Because first of all, to do theoretical chemistry, nowadays you only need a, a computer. Laptop computers have amazing computing power comparable to computers that used to cost half a million, a million dollars right. when I started as a graduate <laughs> student. Seriously, we paid, we paid over half a million dollars for a computer that is far less powerful That's great. than my laptop, much less powerful. I don't need a lot of money to test out ideas. And because I'm an academic, I can, you're right, I can do whatever I want to. But <laughs> if I want interested in drugs that are related to a certain disease, I can do that. If I'm interested in different kinds of plastics that have different ap- applications or um, maybe new molecules that might be useful in future molecular electronics, if you know, we want to get integrated circuits down to sizes measured in nanometers, then I can then take your ideas and your computer and you go. Doesn't require a lot. Doesn't not require a lot of resources. And as an academic, I have freedom to do 
what interests me. In between classes, of course. Right, right, right. Yeah, we're not we're not trying to make it sound like that's all you're doing. You're not uh, teaching America's youth, of course. But now you mentioned the idea of technology. Of course, are there other areas where you said where you would say technology is just so uh, improve the profession, improve the industry, where it's helped you? I mean, is it, it ju- is it just as simple as the, the computer science behind everything, or is there more that you would point to? There is there is much more. Computer programming has become generations ahead of really relatively simple languages we used back in the old days. Become very economical, where a lot of uh, subroutines are shared and become very standardized. So you can basically build lots of computer programs by combining parts rather than writing every single computer instruction by hand. Mm-hmm. So computer programming has massively increased the, the power of computational chemistry. As far as the technical aspects of it, the hardware, yes, computers are faster. They have much larger, cheaper memory, but uh, there's been generations of advancements in visualization as well. It used to be you had, I don't know if you've ever seen the old computer games that had the little Pong, you know, right. just, the, yep. just the white white lines on the green screen. That's basically also how we had in, uh, in computational chemistry as well. And if you wanted to get a nice picture you had to program a, a plotter that would actually take a pen, and you had to you had to program the computer to move the pen <laughs> in certain directions and lengths, and it would draw a diagram. The, the plotter would draw the diagram with pens. You had to program which pen would go up, which pen would go down, and everything. Uh, but nowadays, you know, with color, uh, high resolution color graphics, and even 3D monitors, a lot of my research is done. With 3D monitors, sure. you can actually see you know three-dimensional molecules in the blink of an eye. You, plot, you calculate these these plots. So that is that has happened. And one thing that's going to happen in the future, it's already happened in research labs. There's been some applications of it for the so-called virtual handshake, where you can you can pr- program computers to interact with human hands. So you can actually uh, use your hand to grab onto some sort of a stylus. Your hand motions and forces that you you exert are transferred to the computer, and the computer calculates all how a molecule would react to, say, another atom impinging a certain part of its of its structure mm-hmm. with a certain force, and it will calculate their their response force. So you can actually almost f- feel it's you're modeling what molecules feel like. Wow, your hands are involved. It is totally amazing. This is. This is uh, this has been in a prototype stage, and you can you can actually buy a product that that does this. But this kind of technology will will be um, imported into more and more uh, modeling software packages, and down in bed, and down into the classroom as well. That's going to come in the future. Oh, that that'll uh, be very exciting. Yeah, no, that that sounds fascinating. I mean, I can't even. It's hard to actually wrap my head around the idea of of you being able to do that. I mean, you talk about a theory coming to life. I think that's pretty that's pretty cool there. Exactly what happens. A theory comes to life and you have to re- students it doesn't take much to get them to realize it. It's something very small. These molecules are much smaller than you. Right. You know, you have to, you know, scale things up and that molecules move much faster than any of our uh any of our sensory organs can respond to. So right. everything's scaled up when you're looking at it and slowed way down so that we can see a molecular vibration, which happens, you know, you know trillion, fractions of a trillionth of a second. But you want to see that so you can watch the molecules react to probing and feel it. It's, it's, it's really amazing. But it, as you say, it brings a theory to life for, for sure. 
Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. I, I, that would definitely be something I want to be uh, seeing and hopefully maybe experience down the road sometime. You brought up the idea of working in industry. What are some of the areas that if you if our listeners didn't choose to go into the academia side, uh, I mean, are there individual companies that, are, that hire theoretical chemists? Is it more of um, like a firm type setup? How does that work? There definitely are companies that are, these are the ones that are selling these large software programs that do large wide variety of molecular modeling. Okay. Uh, they hire theoretical chemists as well as applied mathematicians to come up with efficient ways faster than the competitors for doing accurate molecular modeling. So they, yeah, they hire, they pay very well. But again, your, your responsibility there is to, to improve the, their product, their right. molecular modeling package. That is very exciting because, first of all, you pay very well, but... <laughs> You get to see, you know, your product is used by people all over the world. Sure. You start with vicarious satisfaction in seeing how the huge numbers of important problems that uh, a popular software package would be applied towards. So, but again, you're you're not free to do any kind of research that you want, although you become more and more senior in these kinds of organizations, then they do reward you with, you've been successful producing certain advances, you know, will give you some, reward you with some time and resources to do something that, you know, is of interest to you and we'll see, see how it goes. Right. So there's some give and take as far as the two different, if you go academia versus the industry. Yeah. Some of my best friends from, from graduate school went into, uh, into industry and uh, one of them started his own company. And so okay. actually two of them started their own company where they, they written their own software packages. So that's sort of, they're their own boss. Right. And they're doing very well. <laughs> you know, I've appreciated you kind of walking us through some of the, you know, what might be activities that you're going through and the uh, job opportunities. Let's get into a little bit about the idea of education and actually getting into a position possibly. What would our listeners be looking at in terms of, uh, you know, degrees, length of time in school, specific colleges maybe they should be looking at? What advice would you give out there and what information can you share with us? Well, as, as I explained, theoretical chemistry is kind of like solving a puzzle. You you make chemical observations and you try to explain them in a better way than other people have explained them. So you don't strictly have to have any kind of degree to hmm. be a theoretical chemist, uh, sort of like a Monday morning quarterback. You know, you can anybody can sit there and come up with ideas that explain the chemistry that they see. Right. Uh, but if you want those ideas to be taken seriously and to be uh, <laughs> well informed by a you know, a wide range of chemical observations. Then you need to study a lot of chemistry. If you want to, most chemical phenomena involve very complex physics. So you have to also study physics. Hmm. And physics is, the language is written, is understood in mathematics. So there's a tremendous amount of mathematics involved in implementing ideas that a theoretical chemist might have. In fact, a lot of very successful theoretical chemists double majored in chemistry and mathematics. Okay. So, you know, to accumulate all this knowledge in chemistry, physics, mathematics, it takes a long time. You might as well, if you have the time, you might as well, you're probably going to earn a pre-PhD during that time. <laughs> and if you want to apply your ideas to something that is really new and, and beautiful and complex and important to society, then it also pays to understand biology. Hmm. Most of, of biology, really, all the actions at the molecular level. And so a lot of theoretical chemistry is needed to try and explain how all these beautiful biological processes and structures uh, arise. Sure. So you're talking about learning lots of different disciplines. It takes time, so you might as well have some milestones and usually measured in degrees. So most people that are 
involved in theoretical chemistry have a PhD. Right. And as far as schools, you know, if you're going to certain areas of, of chemistry that are very dependent on advanced instrumentation, then you probably want to go to schools that have rich resources in terms mm -hmm. of very expensive instruments that can cost up to a million dollars uh, for one single instrument to do, say, nuclear resonance spectroscopy or X-ray diffraction. So if you're interested in, in specializing in those experimental areas of chemistry, then you, you probably want to go, at least in your graduate, edu graduate education, to go to schools that have very well-funded. But in theoretical chemistry, as I said, you don't you just you know you can do a lot of very innovative research with a, with your own with your laptop. Right. Uh, it's more important to sort of I would say attend some conferences or some fantastic conferences if, if you're an undergraduate and uh, you're interested in going to theor theoretical chemistry. You should try and attend a conference. Some of them are online actually, and you can see who's doing what kind of research and really follow your interest. Look sure. at somebody that's doing something very innovative and. Um, has a lot of attention and, you know, consider working for that person. Oh, I think that's good advice. And the idea of, as you said, if you have a specific interest somewhere um, in terms of what you'd be using possibly, I think that's a, I think it's a nice tip for our listeners out there. When you're looking at applying for jobs and sort of seeking out those positions, what is that process like reaching out? Are you, do you have connections you're able to use through, you know, academia? Uh, what would you point to as far as helping out the job list or the job seekers out there? who are just looking at this point to maybe apply to a position? A lot of, most jobs in theoretical chemistry, again, because it doesn't take a lot of resources to get started in doing theoretical chemistry research. You just really need a computer. Right. So a lot of people think of themselves as computational chemists or theor theoretical chemists. So they will, when there's an, a job opening, a lot of people will, will apply. It's not like if we were to hire a job, we were going to hire somebody to do NMR spectroscopy for protein structure determination. <laughs> those people are those people are fewer uh, and further between. Right. So there's not going to be a lot of applicants. But for uh, a job where the research has a very low cost of getting into it, you get a lot more applications. So really, to rise to the top of that requires a lot of personal contact, uh, presenting at conferences, getting to know so people know get to know your research. If you give a poster. or at a, at a conference, a lot of people will see your poster mm -hmm. and they'll be able to put an idea to your name. And uh, that can that can be very helpful in getting, rising to the top of a large applicant pool. So going to conferences, interacting via email, some of these online conferences are, are ask a good question at an online conference. Sure. That can, that can get you noticed very, you know, easily. That's great practical advice. I mean, the idea, as you said, to be able to stand out and and have those images to your name, or as you said, a good question. I, I think those are great pieces of advice for our job seekers out there. When you get to the job interview process, I mean, what is that like? Do you, are you breaking anything down? Are they testing you with anything? Is it more sort of your what you think of a traditional interview? What would what would they expect in there? It would depend very highly on whether you were applying for an industry job or an academic job. Okay. If you're applying for an academic job, which the benefits are that you have complete freedom to do any kind of research that you want, you don't get paid as well, but you still get make a, a comfortable living. Then the job interview will usually require you to give a research seminar, so you can you can they'll they'll see whether you're very whether your whether your research is innovative and interesting, as well as whether you're able to present it clearly. But because academic researchers main their main function at a university, at least at my university and other 
undergraduate universities primarily, is to teach. So they will ask you to, to teach, or we do anyways, when we hire people, we, when we interview people, we'll ask them to teach a maybe a freshman chemistry class. We'll, we'll get, tell them in advance what the topic is. Okay. And we'll give them you know, time to prepare, and we'll see how good they are in front of a class, how good they are explaining material. Um, well, that's good to know. They generate, <laughs> generate, generate interest among the students. What the students ask them questions. Hmm. You know, they're motivated enough to ask a question. That's a good sign. You have to be prepared to do all that, as well as be collegial during your trip. If you're interviewing for an industrial position, they're mostly going to look at what you've accomplished in the past, publications, uh, some types of jobs they'll be interested in, whether you have patents or whether you've actually been a co-author on commercial software, Mm -hmm. want to know your role in that. It's mostly they're looking at what you've done in the past and whether they feel you have fit into the culture. I've, I've never interviewed for an industrial position, but I have had some contracting positions and consulting positions, that, okay. uh, as well as working in research labs. So I got some, some idea of what it's like to be in a non, to apply for non-academic positions, but yeah, the two are quite different. Right. Yeah, and it makes sense. And with all of our shows, of course, we're speaking generalities. It, it may depend on the organization itself. And as you said, of course, something with academia versus industry. Um, but we do appreciate you trying to give us a little insight. Yeah, one other, Tim, one other thing I would yeah. mention, uh, that, you know, we're living in the 21st century. If you're interested in, in any kind of position that involves computers, of course, they're going to look at it's a good idea for a student or an applicant to, to have a really neat website that... Okay demonstrated their their flair and their skills, right. um, that would help a lot. They'll go a long way. Another great practical piece of advice there. I think you're spot on with that. And uh, I was going to say the, the idea that being prepared if you're going into the academic world um, to actually teach a class ahead of time before getting that job. I think that's, uh, again, a nice nugget for our listeners out there. We are getting extremely low on time. So uh, uh, we always like to wrap up our shows with the idea of our guests giving our listeners a nice takeaway from our conversation. So if you had to point to something briefly um, for the job seekers out there, maybe people who are interested in this area specifically, what would you tell them about the industry or what advice would you give them to sort of wrap up this conversation? Well, I would say that molecules are beautiful. Uh, I love telling the public about how beautiful molecules are and trying to help them understand why why they do the things they do. But the listener should follow their own passion. And if you're passionate about chemistry, then I would definitely go to college with the idea of learning as much chemistry as you possibly can. Get your hands on it, do some research, and the passion will direct you. Sounds like a perfect place to end off here today. With that, we'll close out this installment of I Want to Be A. Today, that was a theoretical chemist. Our expert on the subject today has been Preston McDougall, professor at Middle Tennessee State University. Preston, thanks again for giving us your perspective in this field. We do appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. I enjoyed it. Of course, if you have any comments or questions regarding any of our podcasts here on LJN Radio, just send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Once again, I'm Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.